From the book of Exodus, the Lord said, I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. We've been looking at uh, the Old Testament this summer and sort of the dysfunctional family systems contained in the Old Testament because these stories uh, mirror our own lives, don't they? If you don't read these stories and see your own family in there in some fashion or another, you're just not really paying attention, I'll be honest with you. Um, And I want to take a minute just to talk about this idea of story. And by the way, when I say story, I don't mean necessarily fiction, I just mean Technically, a story is a recounting of a past event, right? So a story can be true or false. It can be fiction or nonfiction. And the important point, the important point of course, is that stories kind of define who we are. They remind us of who we are and what we've been through. They rem- these stories remind us of what it means to be a family, of what it means to be the people of God. In fact, this past summer, I was in Pensacola Beach where my family lives, most of them do, anyway. Um, my mom, my brother, my sister, and everybody lives in Pensacola Beach, which is a great place. They do call it the Redneck Riviera for good reason, by the way. Um, anyhow, we were there, and my, two, my mom's two sisters, Mary and Carolyn, my aunts, were also there. And they're a little nutty and a little, you never know what's going to happen with Aunt Mary and Aunt Carolyn. But we were sitting on my brother's back porch, having a cocktail, getting ready for dinner. And Aunt Carolyn brings up the story of the ghost. We were about, I was probably seven years old. I'm the oldest of three. So I I was about seven years old. My brother Jim was probably five. We lived in Fairfield, Connecticut. We were out in the front yard playing. It was getting to be dusk. And my mom and her sisters are back inside making dinner or doing whatever they're doing. And Carolyn gets an idea. So she puts a sheet over her head, goes out the back door, comes around the side of the house, sneaks up behind us and goes, whoa, right, with the sheet on on top of her head to scare us as a ghost. And of course, we were all like, (gasps) and we ran. We've been a beeline for the front, front patio where my mom was, who was in on the whole arrangement, except for my brother, Jimmy, who was five just stood there like this, (laughs) completely terrified. Um, And I have to say, in some sense, it was was both horrible and scary and a little bit amusing once we figured out who was the person under the sheet. Friends, that was almost 50 years ago. I'll be 55 in December, so it was 48 years ago. And we still talk about that story when we get together. And my, still, my brother Jim, who's, I don't know, 50, he's still a little bit butthurt over the whole, whole thing too, I'll be honest. Um, but this is the point. We bring up these stories because these stories, you know, they define who we are. They bind us together. They remind us, listen, of things that have happened to us and they remind us of our relationships. That's the key. We've all got family stories. You know, incidentally, one of the reasons I love funerals, that sounds funny to say, but one of the things I love about funerals is you get to hear all the stories of these people's lives that you had no idea, but that's fodder for another day. My point is, though, stories, listen, remind us of where we came from. Stories define who we are. And today I want to look at the story of the Passover. The story of the Passover where God tells us and his people how he wants the story remembered before the events take place. That's important. 
What we just read a minute ago, and what, from the, uh, what Johnny read a minute ago from the lectern, is the story of the Passover that God says how he wants it remembered before it happens. And we're going to look at that story today of the Passover in three points. Three chapters. It's a short story. <laughs> three chapters. I'm going to look at the blood. I'm going to look at the bread. And I'm going to look at the justice of God. Three points in our story that defines who we are. You'll see the blood, the bread, and the justice of God. So a little background before we dive into our, our story. Last week, Father Jordan reminded us about Moses, showed us the story of Moses, who had been called by God to free God's people, the Hebrews, from slavery under the Egyptians. God says he's going to send a series of ten plagues, ten plagues that will cause suffering and dissension and misery, frogs and famine and boils and rivers turning into blood and a guest appearance by Lady Gaga, maybe, who knows? <laughs> but things which are going to just be nasty stuff that are supposed to have the, have the intention of not just God, you know, visiting wrath for its own sake, but visiting these things in order to do one thing, which is critically under, important to understand, that these plagues are sent by God to the Egyptians Listen, to bring them to repentance, to get them to stop what they're doing, change their ways before it's too late. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this today, but I do want to say one thing that's important to just remember as Christians, that God is not a sadist. God does not allow suffering in our own lives because he enjoys it or he somehow wants us to squirm. But I will say this, that suffering is always an opportunity, always, always, in your life and in mine, suffering is always an opportunity to bring you closer to God. It sounds funny to say that, but if you've been a Christian for any period of time, you know that's true, because when you're in suffering, you realize that the things you've done heretofore no longer work. And if you're smart, and sometimes you are and sometimes we're not, that suffering brings us to repent. Lord, show me what to do next, and then get ready because he will. Suffering, this, the, the suffering that God brings in these 10 plagues are there for their sake, for their good. God is, this, God is giving them an opportunity to repent to him 10 times. God is the God of the second chance and the third chance and the fourth chance. A lot more chances than I give my kids, frankly, I'll be honest. But before God executes the final plague, which will be the death of the firstborn from King Pharaoh all the way down, we'll get to that in a minute, before God brings the final plague, he puts in place the story how he wants it remembered. Point one, the blood. The Hebrews are told by God to sprinkle the blood of the lamb over the doorpost, so if a door is a square, right, along the sides and along the top, to mark that door, and God says, for your sake. I mean, God does not need a sign here. God does not need a, a he knows who, he's God. He knows everything. He says, for your sake, you need to choose whom you will serve, whom you'll be under. You have to make a choice. Are you going to mark your door with the blood of the Passover lamb? Why blood? Good question. When I was thinking about this a few days ago, blood, I'm thinking, what would, I would have, what would I have done? And you know what popped into my mind? I'm embarrassed to say this, but I'm going to tell you what popped into my mind. 
why not just tie a yellow ribbon around an old oak tree? Remember that? Tony Orlando? That's what I would do. Put a, put a ribbon out there. Put a little, put a flyer. Put a sparkler on your door. Why blood? This is critically important. Well, bl- biblically speaking, blood, listen, is where your soul is. I'll show you what I mean in a second. Blood is where the soul of an animal or a human being resides. And if that sounds strange to you, it's because most modern people, thanks to the Enlightenment and a bunch of other reasons, we tend to think of the spirit as a sort of ephemeral ghosty thing, right? That I've got a spirit which is some kind of, somehow tied into my physical body, but it's not really, but it kind of is nonsense. Biblically speaking, your soul is in the blood. Your soul is in your blood. There's a Baptist hymn, I think, isn't there, called The Soul is in the Blood? According to Scripture, anyway, your soul is in your blood. And if you think about this, I'll give you an example and move on. We see it throughout all human cultures before the Enlightenment that people understood this. I mean, take Scripture out of the picture for a second. I'll give you an example. Culturally, Native Americans, right? What would they do? They'd go out and they'd kill a bear. That's not easy to do. Or kill a deer. What would they do? They They would drink the blood of the animal. Why? To get the strength, the soul, the suitcase, the Greek word, the soul in them. Cannibals do it. All sorts of cultures drink the blood of their enemies or other animals. Why? To bring the soul in. The soul is in the blood. Blood is life. So blood on a doorpost, what is that all about? What it means, now that you understand what blood means, is that the blood on the doorpost means that the Passover lamb, listen, the Passover lamb whom you killed and put his blood on that door, that lamb gave its life to protect you. Funny thing. The blood of the Passover lamb marks the people of God. Then the blood of the Passover lamb marks the people of God now. The blood of the Passover lamb marks you. Jesus, as we know, is, of course, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We say this all the time. Don't miss the connection. Jesus is the Passover lamb for you and for me, and his blood is not smeared along a doorpost, but on the cross at Calvary. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And anyone who believes in Jesus' death on the cross in their place, that person is marked, sealed by the Passover Lamb. And that Passover Lamb's name is Jesus. Point I want you to see, I'm going to move on. And our story as the people of God is that the blood of the Passover Lamb, listen, marks the people of God. And here's my question. Are you, are you marked with the blood of the Lamb? How do I know? Well, simple. Do people know that you're a Christian? Do people know that you, that's the whole purpose of the blood on the post, right? God says this will be a sign for you. When you do it, this is something you are making a decision to choose, and people should know. And if they don't, then you've got some hard thinking to do. You know, if you know, if you go back in the story and look, the, the Passover lamb, the blood, was not restricted just to Hebrews. The Egyptians could do it, and some did, not many. But the Egyptians, non-believers, non, non-Jews, could put the blood on the lintel of their doorpost if they believed in, the, in Moses, and the pa- angel of death would pass over them. Some did, most didn't. 
anyone who, the point I want you to see here, then and, then and now, anyone who trusted in the saving power of the Passover lamb of God would be saved then and now, just like today. Jew or Greek, slave or free. So the blood of the Passover lamb, then and now, is the mark of the people of God. And then second thing I want to show you in our, in our story of how we think of who we are as God's people, marked with the blood of the, of the lamb, and then second is the bread. This is cool. This bind, the second thing that binds us together as the people of God is unleavened bread. What does that mean? Well, let me be honest with you. This may come as a huge shock, but I'm not much of a baker. <laughs> I'm a griller, and I tell my friends, if you can kill it, I can grill it. I can grill anything. I have grilled a lot of different things, but I'm not a baker. But I do know this, it's the, and if I'm a little bit wrong, you can tell me in coffee hour. I do know that baking is basically this, right? Flour, salt, water, and you've got to put one more thing in there, and that's yeast. And you put the yeast in there, and it ferments, right? You, you mix all this stuff up, and then you put the yeast in, and you sit it aside, and the bread begins to what? Puff out. It grows. It expands. It ferments, and it makes the bread rise. And that takes time. Having bread with yeast in it takes time. God tells the people at Passover, when I come and get you, don't wait. Mix the water and the flour and the other ingredients. Put some cayenne pepper in there if you want. I don't know. But skip the yeast because we're in a hurry. Skip the yeast because we're in a hurry. I'm going to deliver you. We're out of here. And there's no time to waste. Unleavened bread, which we still use in the Western church anyway at communion. That flat wafer you're going to get later is unleavened bread. And the point of it is it's supposed to communicate to us to be ready. When God calls, when God calls, you've got to be ready. You know, some of us are planners. I am a planner, not terribly much. I mean, I don't do a lot of detail, but I, I, like, a, I like a plan in place before I do something, and most responsible people do. Um, but the thing I want you to see here is that when God calls you, when God calls, you got to move. If you weren't here all summer, and many of you weren't, some of you were, we have been talking about this new school we launched a couple years ago, four years ago to be precise. We've added a first grade this year. It's been awesome. Trinity Episcopal Church and School, as we are now known. Trinity School is a Christian parochial school. Our faith and our church are completely intertwined. Our clergy teach classes. We teach chapel. We are, this is an, an all-out effort. It is an effort to bring the gospel to the people of this community. Friends, God is calling us as a parish. God is calling you to move. Leave your leaven at home and go. This past lunch, I was having um, lunch with a fella whose name was not Bill. <laughs> I'm going to call him Bill, just otherwise I'll tell you his real name. Uh, I was having lunch with a guy named Bill. We were talking about politics and all sorts of different things. It was a great lunch over at Quail. Started, you know, solving all the problems of the world and bemoaning all the weird things that are going on, how our culture is moving in an increasingly demonic direction. Incidentally, Father Jordan was telling me that in Minnesota, Michigan, 
Minneapolis, I'd say it's all the same place, right? Minneapolis, in Minneapolis at their, at their art museum, ready for this? They were having a children's hour where they would bring kids and teach them how to worship demons. I'm not making this up. Anyhow, we were talking in, my, in, our, in our conversation about the demonic influence of our, of our culture, and I said to my lunch partner, I said, look, I said, Bill, as Christians, we really, we can complain and we can agree that these things are wrong, right? That woke culture has gone insane, that parents are now not even being notified that their children have confusion about their sexual identity when they're five. We have a right to complain about that, but we have no right to continue to complain if we're not willing to do something about it. As Christians, doing nothing is not an option. We know the enemy. Pharaoh, Satan, demons, they're all the same thing. We know the enemy. The government is not going to save us. Ask the French in the revolution who's going to save them. Yeah, the government will save you. Yeah. Ask the, Marx, ask the Russians during the Marxist uh, communist revolution. Yeah, the government's going to save you there too. Sorry, friends, the government isn't going to save us. The culture is not going to right itself as the people of God marked with the blood of the Lamb and called to move to leave our leaven, we're the ones who are going to change it. You ever notice Jesus says something curious that just popped into my mind? He says, uh, here is the church, you are the church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against you. <laughs> we tend to think of that as the church always hiding, right? No, 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 that's backwards. Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail against us, but we got to move. Trinity Church, God is calling you you, the person sitting in your seat to get behind our school. At the very least, pray. Pray for wisdom for me. Pray for success for our teachers. Pray that God would continue to bless our school. We've got 81 kids here now. It's amazing. Up from eight four years ago. But we are called by God. Listen, and I don't say this lightly. We are called by God to offer a Christian alternative to what is going on in our culture. There is no plan B, friends. We are it. And as Christians, our bread must be unleavened. We must be ready to call when God calls us. Ready to move. You ready? Jump, right? That's the idea here. Leave the leaven home. Be ready when God calls you. I will admit something to you. As the rector of this parish, I will admit to you that following God's lead, following God's call in this regard, especially with this school, I've never put a school in before. On one level, I have no idea what I'm doing, right? But I do know that God has called us to do this, and I do know that in one sense it's a bit terrifying, but it's also exciting, isn't it? Kind of like being on a roller coaster. It's both terrifying, and like being married, both terrifying and exciting at the same time. <laughs> I will freely admit to you, I will freely admit to you that following God's call is, when it, it's got to be clear, but it is sometimes terrifying, but it's also exciting. I was talking to Mrs. Scales the other day. She's our new first grade teacher who actually taught my daughter Grace, who's now 17, when Mrs. Scales taught at St. Edward's School. Um, I'm sure there's some people right here today that were taught by Mrs. Scales at St. Ed's. But anyhow, she said to me, you know, uh, people are asking me, you know, what are we, are we going to go? How many grades are we going to add? How far are we going to go with this whole thing? Well, we're going to add as many grade as, grades as we can. We're going to add a grade a year is the plan. And figure out how we're going to maneuver it, and maybe have to do some buildings and so forth, but we're going to add at least a grade a year. And she said to me, well, could we add two grades in a year or three grades in a year? I said, if we have the money, yes, we could. People are asking. People are wondering, what are we going to do? Because they'll get behind it. 
but we've got to move. So the one option we don't have, friends, is to wait. Leave your leaven at home. When God calls, we move. We leave our bread unleavened. So we see the blood that marks the people of God. We see God's charge to them and to us to leave our leaven home and go when I call you. And then finally, the Hebrews are ready, and we see the justice of God. Let me read it to you. So the blood is on the, land, the door. The, they've eaten their meal. They're ready to go. The Passover angel of death or the destroyer passes over. And those houses which are not marked, this is what happens. At Exodus, 20, Exodus 12, 29. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive, who's in the dungeon, to all the firstborn of the, and all the firstborn of the livestock. In other words, everybody from top to bottom is affected by this. Finally, Pharaoh admits, for now, we'll talk about this next week, because he changes his mind. Finally, Pharaoh now admits he's beaten. He now knows, he who thinks himself is a god, now knows the god of, of the Hebrews is stronger than he is. He meets Moses and Aaron, and he says this. Listen to this. Up now. Yo, get up. He does exactly what God told him he was going to do. Up, go out from, your, from among my people, both you and all the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord, as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds, as you have said, and be gone. Get out of here. But bless me also. The story's not over yet. We'll see this next week. But God is, one thing I will say, you have to come away from this story, is to realize one thing, that God is clear. He sent 10 plagues. He said he would, and he did. 10 chances to repent. Many did, most didn't. Just like today. And then finally God acts. You know, sometimes people balk at this. They say, how could God do this? How could God kill the firstborn of all the way from the king of all the way down to the person in prison? How could God do, how could God be so cruel? <laughs> well, here's something to think about. We fought a war in this country to free the slaves. And there, there were, in that war, 650,000 people died. No one, is, no one that I know, unless you're from Charleston, South Carolina, has ever said that that was an unjust war. Well, maybe that's unfair. Most people would say it was not an unjust war. That sometimes doing the right thing causes suffering. Imagine, listen to this. I mean, tomorrow is the 22nd anniversary of 9-11. We all remember where, where we were when that happened, if we were born. We, I remember, where I, I was in seminary, actually. Could you imagine if, if we, if God just went, huh, boy, that's, wow, what a mess that is. Woo! And did nothing? Could you imagine if the government, the government authorities, and I mean, to put the Iraq war part aside, that's another whole kettle of fish, but the idea being, when we see suffering, when we, when we see injustice, justice has to be paid for. God requires, God administers justice. And God is infinitely more patient with us than we are with each other. But God is a God of justice. He's a God of action. And if that, might, that bothers you a little bit, let me just challenge you. Consider the alternative, a God that does nothing. Here's an interesting question I want to ask you. I'm going to wrap up. Do you fear God? You never hear that anymore, do you? And what I mean by that is not fear like, you know, he's going to beat you up. 
What I mean is, do you have a proper respect for God? Do we as a culture, the answer is no, have a proper respect for God? Do you as a Christian have a proper respect for God? Do you fear God? What I mean by that is, are we aware of the eternal consequences of our decisions to do or not do? Do we count on God to do what he says he will do? Do we lean on him? Is he our focus? Friends, this story of the Passover, this is your story. The story of the people of God who are marked with the blood of the Lamb, whose bread is unleavened, and when God calls, they act. And the people of God who wait for his justice, the justice that might take time, and it might not be in our time frame, but the God, who we, the God of the Bible who is just and who solves the problems of our lives for good. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for the Passover. We thank you, Lord, for the Passover where the angel of death death passed over those whom you had marked. Your people marked with the blood of the Lamb, your son, Jesus, and who are ready to move at a moment's notice when we're called. As we wait in joyful hope, Lord, help us see the Passover, the blood, the bread, and the justice as our own story. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.